Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back. Let's go to the phones. And joining us, somebody I have a bone to pick with, and that's a Nate Zielinski. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. I don't like the aggression in your voice there. Well, I, I, Karen showed me this posting, Mandy's birthday, and you did dinner on the beach for her here in Colorado. You cooked on a, cooked her a fantastic seafood dinner. You waited on her hand and foot. Do you know what kind of pressure that puts on the rest of us? <laughs> I'll tell you, she's you realize it's fishing uh, and hunting season, right? A nice dinner, so. Yeah, but you off. realize it's fishing and hunting season, right? <laughs> you know how many women were going to catch walleyes while we were doing it? <laughs> All right. Hey, you're, you're a lot sweeter, more sensitive guy than you like to let on, my friend, but <laughs> proud of you. You're very welcome. I uh, yeah, I uh, I do a lot. The family means absolutely the world to me, Terry. I think a lot of people know that, but yeah, there's uh, there's nothing that comes first uh, more than the family. Well, and speaking of family, before we get into the whole gist, we're going to talk hunting and fishing. But you also do. We were just talking doves with Austin Parr. You actually do an, an annual dove hunt with your 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 kids. Tell me about how that went. It, it was fun, Terry. You know, it's kind of weird. So this season, you know, per capita, we had more doves in the state than anywhere. But the, it, it's kind of opposite of a lot of different places. Ideal dove hunting is almost around those hotter, drier drought areas. So the whole northern half of the state, like call it the I-76 corridor, was unbelievable. Higher number of birds than we've ever seen. Uh, the far south, the La Junta, the Pueblo, extreme numbers. The central stretch, um, you know, out there east of Colorado Springs, down in Kiowa actually had less birds than normal because they had so much moisture. Uh, it really spread the birds out. They weren't having to migrate fly. So we hunt out of Kiowa typically, um, and we had a great hunt, shot a lot of birds, but our numbers were not near what they normally were. So we actually had a slower year, actually the slowest of, uh, I mean, I've been taking the kids out since they were literally one years old. Um, and this was our slowest year ever uh, for doves, but majority of the state was extremely high. So it's kind of a, a catch-22. With that being said, I shot better than I've ever shot in my life. So there is the, the biggest plus of that, uh, which I was very excited about. I think no matter how much we all brag about how good shooting we are, Dove is the, the one upland sport that truly is a humbling challenge. Um, so, so very excited about, about my performance. Uh, I just wish I had a few more birds to, to hunt overall. I do not brag about my ability to shoot doves. <laughs> I just I just keep sending checks to the ammunition manufacturers. <laughs> that's it. That's for sure. Hey, you know, I asked I asked Austin this, and I'll get your take on it since you're in different parts of the state hunting them. We're getting a little cool weather. It's 47 at my house today. Usually we've had a few of these nights, more of them than we've had lately, and I think that extremely hot weather really kept the doves around. Is this cool enough to move some of the resident birds out, and will we get a wave from the north, or won't this affect it? I do think we're going to definitely see some push out from the, the current birds. 
And I think we'll see a, a migratory, you know, swamp coming in as other birds are passing through. So I think it's a catch 22. I think a lot of people hope that you're going to get northern birds coming in and our resident birds are going to stay to increase your population. I don't necessarily think that's the case. I do think we're going to see a lot of birds leave uh, and you're going to see a lot of birds coming in. So I think your numbers will just about stay the same. Uh, and I actually just was actually talked to a couple guys about that because I, I think that the birds where I'm hunting in kind of that central, you know, that Kiowa area, um, I think those birds, Elizabeth, you're going to see a, a little increase, uh, which would be great for the hunters around there. Uh, but I definitely do think you're going to see some push out. You know, people don't realize they're they're very vulnerable in those regards. They they don't have to stay. They don't need to stay. Um, you know, it's not like a breeding season. There's nothing here that that makes them stay. So uh, it doesn't take a lot of weather to to push them out. I do think that this is going to be enough to to push a lot of those birds out. But again, I think you'll you'll have an influx of some birds coming in to keep it alive uh, here for just a little bit longer. And before we move on from doves, I can't do that without. I mean, you take the kids out. You're getting them used to hunting. I think. Of all the hunting and shotgunning sports especially, dove may be the best introductory one to get kids into shotgun hunting. A hundred percent. I don't think there's anything even remotely close, honestly. Uh, I mean, simply for all aspects. Number one, it's warm. Uh, two, there's no gear needed. And, and Terry, I, I mean, I know that as a professional in the industry, we're supposed to play the part. We're supposed to talk it up. But, I mean, we don't wear camo. We don't sit in a blind. I see people that are decoying, getting really into it. Um, I mean, I sit by a, a stock tank. Half the time, my pickups parked there. We wear normal clothes, um, and we're extremely efficient with, with getting those birds coming in. So it's great because it's warm. There's no special gear needed. You're not investing in a lot of gear for, for youth and family to try it out. You're wearing your normal clothes. It's also very engaging, so it's fast-paced, lots of birds. So you're not sitting in a blind waiting for a goose to circle. You're not looking for a big game animal that you might see a handful in a day. You're seeing so much activity, so that keeps everything alive. And then, two, they're, they're really a part of it. You know, so many sports, you know, you might see uh, an elk or a deer, and if the kids don't have binos or you're the person you're with, they might not even see what you're engaging with. That's where, for me, you know, I, I put one of my kids looking north, one looking south. I kind of sit in the middle, and, and, I mean, they're calling the shots. They're saying, hey, here comes one, or here, get ready. Um, you know, so they're very, very involved, which keeps everything exciting. And then, you know, obviously, upon harvest, um, in this situation, we actually a lot of times don't bring a dog just so the kids get, you know, they run out, grab the dove, bring it back. It, it, it's a lot of fun all the way around. And then they're unbelievable eating. So, I mean, my kids are involved in breasting them out. You know, we come home, we cook them together. So literally from start to finish, the kids are involved. Um, they have a ton of fun with it. And, and it's just a great conversation. And nice thing with that, again, you can have concepts of that. So we talk hunter safety. We talk firearm safety. We talk through the whole thing is you're not like whispering not moving around so it's an educational great experience for anybody to get out there in the, in the sport and when they start shooting themselves they don't need a 12 gauge with a three and a half mag in it they can get a 20 gauge or a lighter 12 gauge load a yep. target load more than adequate for doves you get rid of that big recoil Absolutely, Terry. You're very friendly in those regards. And the last thing I can get, I talk about is, 
whether you're hunting one of the many public land offerings for dove, which there's a lot out there, doves is the one thing where very rarely will a farmer rancher ever turn you down. When you start talking, uh, you know, chasing some of these giant Eastern Plains mule deer, those deer are worth a lot of money uh, in kind of the guiding outfitting world. So if you ask uh, an Eastern Plains rancher to hunt big game on their property, a lot of times it's not that they're trying to be mean. There's just so much money in it um, that they'll turn you down. Pronghorn, almost the same thing. When you go to any ranch, you say, hey, I'm looking for maybe one day to, to harvest some doves. You know, we're shooting eight shot or seven and a half. There, you know, there's no uh, safety regards of where my my projectile is traveling, and it's unbelievable because I, I very rarely ever get turned down when asking to dove hunt. So that's the other kind of cool thing is whether you're hunting private or, or public, there's a lot of opportunity to to find a great spot to hunt. All right, Nate, let's switch gears. What else is going on out there? Number one, first and foremost, by far, obviously, this cooler, damp, cold weather. I mean, Conifer this morning dropped down to 37 degrees. High country got drastically colder. Um, You know, it's terrible for the doves. I wouldn't say it's great for turkeys, but in regards to the big game aspects, particularly elk, opening day of muzzleloader, the rut is literally just getting going. When you timed these conditions with a full moon, this is absolutely a dream come true. So the, the bulls are just like a fish, get very excited around moon phases, full moon tonight. That's obviously going to do a lot for the cows, kind of their heat cycle, estrus cycles. So it's going to be huge for, for getting the cows, you know, in a breedable state. Um, when you throw this weather on top of that new moon, it is a dream come true for the elk world. Um, went out this morning just for a little bit to scout. Mandy has a muzzleloader tag. Um, she's on a birthday trip right now, but I'm watching some bulls for her. Um, I saw nine bulls this morning, every one of them going crazy. Um, my bulls have been stopping the vocalization. So in regards to bugling, they've been bugling all night and into the morning. But most of my bulls have been shutting up at 6.30, even 7 o'clock. It's done. There's no more talking after that 6.37. Uh, I mean, these bulls were talking when I left them at 9 o'clock. Um, so, again, conditions could not be better uh, for all the archery hunters out there and the muzzleloader. So that's huge. We're also dampening up a lot of the ground. Now, most of the storm's kind of front-range driven. But even for the archery hunters hunting deer or bear, you now have some moisture. You are now able to stock. When it's been you know dry, hot like we had last week, stalking through the woods has been a disaster. You sound like an elephant, um, even as you're going slow and quiet, just because everything was crunchy and noisy. So this moisture is also helping the ability to stalk through the woods. So on the big game front, things are perfect. Big moon, good moisture, cooler temps. Um, it is textbook quality for those regards. We're excited about that. Um, also kind of on the front of just current conditions, a lot of our mountain lakes have turned over. Our fall temperatures uh, are helping out. Um, that bite at Spinney, we've been talking about it all summer. If you have windy conditions, those afternoon storms, fishing's been pretty good, but if it's high sun, hot, Fishing was pretty tough at Spinney. Uh, same thing at Ontario, same thing at like an 11 mile. Um, pretty much all the mountain lakes. Now that our fall temps hit, those fish have abandoned the insect bite, so they're no longer as active on your midges, on your damselflies, on, on all those different bug life. And they're now doing a slow transition to their winter forage, which is typically like scuds, 
snails, even a minnow base. Um, now that those fish have switched over into their, their food source, um, they've moved shallow water, and the fishing is absolutely on. Um, I talked about this in a couple of Facebook posts. We did a couple of posts for a couple of our, our you know partners. And regardless, I had a couple of people say, man, you're crazy. You keep saying the bite's hot. Uh, you know, We went up to Spinnier. We went up to Antero. We didn't do well. My tip to everyone, I'm not even caring what you're throwing, jerk baits, tube jigs, tazes, spoons. If you are not having success, I promise you, you are fishing too deep. So if you are a mountain trout angler and you are not having success, your rule of thumb, go shallower. And there is no such thing as too shallow. Keep moving shallow until you find your fish. So that's kind of the, the current conditions. The big moon's great for our walleye fishing. Um, so really, Terry, it's been a, a gangbuster of a year for fishing. Great start to hunting. Uh, but this kind of cooler temps as we kind of really uh, our first really good, solid fall day. Um, it is just going to enhance everything even more. Well, I think it's going to kick everything off. I think we're going to see the spooning slash jigging wrap bite just really come into its own on a lot of front range lakes, especially those that have adequate shad. And even uh, Austin and I were talking about McConaughey and Pueblo. I think there's a lot going on. I want to make a, a point. You brought something up that used to come up in my discussions with the editors of Fishing Facts magazine. This is before in Fisherman because I'm older than dirt, but <laughs> we, used to, we used to have editorial meetings and uh, one of the things, uh, a lot of people know who Spence Petros is. He's one of the most famous fishing uh, writers of all time. Um, and Spence, as his theory was always, it's easier to catch fish that are shallow than to catch fish that are deep. Most anglers struggle the deeper they have to fish. So he would start shallow unless he had some really compelling reason that maybe like the spoon bite was on or something because he always felt if he could find fish shallow and this applies to your trout you're they're going to be more active when they're shallow they're shallow for a reason and then if he had to he'd work deeper what do you think about that I'm 100,000% in on that. I always start shallow and then work deep for a lot of reasons. Number one, they're easier to find. Number two, they are always more aggressive. It does not matter if they are pike, lake trout, walleye, rainbows, bluegill. A shallower fish is more aggressive because they are there to feed. They don't hang out in that shallow water. Fish that's in the deeper water is hard to understand if they're feeding or if they're just there to like live their life, if they're you know digesting food or what the case may be. Shallow fish are there to feed. So one, they're far more aggressive. And honestly, Terry, across the board, species-wise, your shallower fish are going to be your bigger fish. Um, it's just what the case is, and that's lakers, pike, rainbows, walleye. Um, if you go to the average lake and you just per capita catch five fish and you know sub five foot of water and catch another five fish and 10, 15 feet of water, I promise you those shallower fish will be bigger fish uh, across the board. So the shallow water is where it's at. We preach this you know, in and out every weekend almost, uh, but the case could not be truer right now. So when I am fishing, especially trout, I am shallow water. Half the time I'm watching these fish make a wake to come take my bait. Uh, so shallow water is it. Bigger fish, more aggressive fish, easier to target, easier to catch, um, and bigger overall. So yes, the shallow water is so often looked because people don't have faith in it. We talk about this all the time. Confidence is huge. They don't have confidence where they can see bottom, where they can't see the fish. But that confidence needs to get thrown out the window. Try it. Give it a good, honest effort, and it will blow your mind what you see out of that shallow water. 
Last question. This is going to pass. Tomorrow is going to be in the mid to high 70s up and down the front range. Mountains will be more comfortable, but we'll still have the cold nights. If you could only go fish one place tomorrow, where would you go? I'll tell you, I would, I would probably go hit that spinny shallow water trout bite. For the main purpose of, our water is dropping. We do not know how long the boat docks are going to be able to stay open. So the big moon like that would normally call me walleye fishing, but in the sense that Spinny is on right now, it's going strong, and we never know how long that reservoir is going to stay open to boating due to low water. Uh, the water level is good now, but that could change overnight. So I'd get up there and catch those big giant rainbows. All right, my friend, if people want more information, where do they find you? You can always go to our Facebook page. We're doing videos and updates every day, Tightline Outdoors on Facebook, and then obviously TightlineOutdoors.com is our main website. We'd love to uh, to get you out and get you on some fish. All right. We'll talk to you again soon. Have a good rest of the weekend. And no more dinners on the beach. <laughs> Nate Zelensky, always a great resource. Let's take a quick time out. When we come back, the folks from Jack's are going to join us. You know, last year, hunting and fishing supplies were really tough in the fall. We're going to find out if that's the case this year on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Easy for me to talk this morning. Brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. And joining us from the East Jack's, the one on... uh, but the one more downtown in Loveland is Bill Berglund. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Terry. How are we doing today? And we're doing great. And I want to talk to you about um, last year and really the year before and into last year, hunting and fishing equipment. You, you were just you went to the store hoping to find what you wanted and ended up hoping there was something you could use instead because it wasn't a good scene. I want to get into that, but before I do. I understand that your son harvested a bear just recently with a bow. Uh, congratulations. What's his name? Give him a shout out. Yeah, his name's Brian. Um, he's been tracking this bear for a while. He knew it was up there, and he came within bow range of him Sunday and put him in the freezer. He's promised to right. the fur off of this one. So, <laughs> well, You know, we have a robust bear population in Colorado, and if you, you can get a bear tag with your big game tag pretty easily, um, and it's an experience. I know a lot of people don't hunt bears. I've harvested a bear in the past. I don't make it a regular thing, but it is an accomplishment, and congratulations to him, especially archery hunting for a bear. Yeah, it's his first one with a bow. He's got a couple with a rifle now, so he's stoked about it. So let's talk, well, since we started with archery, um, archery season's in full swing right now. Uh, it'll go on. A lot of people will hunt with a bow well into the fall. How are we doing archery-wise? And, uh, you know, are you well-stocked? Do you have arrows, bows? What's going on with archery supplies at Jack's? Um, our Lafayette, Broomfield, and Fort Collins stores have full bow shops right now and ranges. Uh, they do have bow techs to help you with your setups and maintenance. We're putting in a full archery shop here in the East Loveland store with a range. It'll probably be two to three months till we're online with it. I've got some basic releases, broadheads, some shafts and points, just some really basic stuff to get you started. I don't have any bows yet. My range isn't operational yet, but let's say next two to three months, we should be going strong on that. But, But overall, Jax is doing well with archery supplies throughout your stores? Very well. We're, I don't know of any shortages anywhere in the system for us. 
But that's been, you know, it's so good to see this. You know, there's a couple things going on. We had this rush of people going outdoors during COVID and the manufacturers couldn't get up. And then we had issues with China and shipping and shipping at ports and things really got tough for fishermen and hunters for a while. And another area that really got bad, bad was ammunition. How are you guys doing with, uh, we got dove season going on right now. Rifle seasons are going to start, muzzle loader. How are you guys doing with ammunition? Um, semi-automatic handgun ammo is plentiful, all varieties in hand. Your revolver ammo is where things are still a little tight. 357, 44 mag, 45 long colts, tough to get, but it's, it's trickling in. Um, center fire rifle ammo, your, your standards, your 270s, 243s, 308s, 30 out sixes, 300 bags. Those are easy to get. We've got shelves full of that stuff. Shotgun shells were, we got a decent start on some waterfowl stuff. We've got some seven and a half, eight target type stuff. Works well on dove and quail. Uh, got lots of that. So I don't think folks are going to have any trouble this fall. What about shotguns themselves? Oh, we got a plethora of them. Um, there's plenty to be had. Remington's back up and running strong on shotguns, and they are really looking nice compared to where they were a couple of years ago. Uh, got a lot of Benelli's, Frankies, a lot of Tristars. So come on in and take a look at those. Yeah, so everybody, sounds like from the shooting and archery perspectives, you're really in good shape. Let's switch gears and talk about fishing. I really think this cold front that came through here, this uh, it was 47 at my house this morning. It's only going to be in the 50s, I think. Warms up again the next few days, but not like it was in the hundreds that you and I have experienced here last week. I think this is going to kick off fall fishing, don't you? I hope so. It's It's been kind of sketchy the last month or two fishing, and uh, I'd like to see some good steady fishing in the lakes around here now. Now, with it kicking off, a lot of the people are going to turn to reaction jigging top presentations as the water cools, like jigging spoons, jigging wraps. How are you stocked with those? And you're telling me the Salmos are really taking off. The Salmos have been really popular with the walleye fishermen all summer. Uh, most sizes, most colors, they don't seem to be too fussy. Uh, jigging things, I've got a lot of jigging wraps. I've got, uh, you know, the old traditionals like the Swedish pimples I've got a lot of. And the PK spoons that are real popular for jigging. So there's a lot of them to be had, and I'm pretty well stocked on all of them. What about rods and reels? If I'm looking for something different for this fall, or whether it's fly or conventional, how are you sitting there? Really good. I mean, it, it's almost back to pre-pandemic normal around here. Uh, I've got everything from inexpensive combos up through some really nice St. Croix and Fenwick, Lou rods, nice reels to go on them, inexpensive starter rods, fly, fly equipment, the same thing. I've got all the way from starter packs up through some really nice rods from Orvis, some uh, Lamson reels. Not having trouble so getting much of any of that. But it's kind of a relief. I mean, I know that the demand for the outdoors has gone down, but that's another thing that happens in the fall. A lot of the avid anglers are out hunting. You've taken this outdoor population and we've split them between activities so we can get some really great fishing in the fall. And yet the waters won't be crowded and you got a chance at some of the biggest, biggest fish in the system. Last thing I want to talk to you about is uh, we did a remote from, uh, for my 25th uh, years of radio from out of ear store here, just a uh, round, just in July, 
And you guys were telling me about the big expansion. Now, there's two stores in Loveland. There's one that's, as you head out of town, where that Kmart used to be. And you guys are the original Loveland store that's more downtown. You're the eastern one. You're you're both on Highway 34. Um, but you guys are going to become the biggest store in the system. Is that right? Yes, sir. We're the, we're the one on the east side by Sam's. Um, not only do we have all the normal Jack's Fair, we're putting in a bike shop here. Like I said, we're putting in an archery department here. Uh, we're getting back into team and ball sports, athletics. Um, you know, the full range of shoes we used to have is all coming back here. All the outdoor clothing's coming back here. So we're going to have the biggest floor space in the company and the most product, I think. Awesome. That's great. And that's going to happen over the next probably month or two, you think? Yeah, we're probably looking, last I heard was in the next two weeks, they keep telling us, but I think it's really going to happen this time to get our certificate of occupancy and start putting some merchandise on the floor here. All right, my friend, it all sounds good. I hope you can get out and enjoy when the weather gets this weather passes, you can get out and catch a few fish. I'm going somewhere tomorrow. It's my day off. I'm going to slay something. All right, my friend, you enjoy it. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Terry. Have a great day. You bet. Bill Berglund from the uh, uh, East Jack's store in Loveland. You know, Jack's has been now our, our um, retail sponsor for a few years, and we're just, they fit our profile so well because they service the front range of Colorado all the way um, from down in the metro area up to Cheyenne. And those are areas that I hunt and fish, so they're they're right there, and they have everything you need for the outdoors. i tell you what, we're going to take a time out. We come back. Um, one of our favorite contributors who hasn't been on in a while is going to join us and we're going to talk about this fall bite and how he approaches it and he always has great information to help put you on fish and that's Ronnie Castiglione. He'll join us after this time out brought to you by Jack's Outdoor Gear and 104.3 The Fan. Got you down and the world is crashing all around. You can always count on me. Well, I don't know if you can always count on me. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors and 1043 The Fan, but we know we can count on Ronnie Castiglione. And that's, was that your favorite song, Ronnie? You know, it's one of my favorite, Terry, but it, it makes me wonder if, uh, if Karen listens to those lyrics and thinks about that when it's snowing outside whether she can count on you to shovel that driveway, Terry. Hey, I wrote the song. <laughs> I think you were trying to make up for something. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, uh, I tell you the backstory on that song, but I can't do it on the air. Anyway, it's, it's on the EP. If you guys, if you like the song folks, uh, search Wickstrom and Dobrith and listen to our music, but let's talk some fishing, Ronnie. Uh, we had a cold front come through yesterday and today drop the temperatures. My feeling is this is going to really kick off fall fishing. Where are you at? Yeah, 100%, Terry. Fall is definitely in the air, and uh, we you know, we were looking at near hundreds just a few days back, and now we're in the 50s, and uh, it's definitely going to affect the lakes, the reservoirs. Um, you know, the, one of the big things that we're going to see is the, the colder weather is going to affect the bait fish population right off the bat. And once that bait fish starts moving around and starts gathering out in the basins and starts pushing around in schools, the predators are going to show up and 
Uh, that means fall to me, Terry, and that's some of the best fishing of the year when that starts to happen. Well, you know, you made a comment there, and I know we're going to delve deeper into it, but almost every season of the year, I mean, there's other than the spawn, which influences fish behavior, the food source is almost always the key. We talk about water temperatures. We talk about structure. We talk about suspended fish. But when you boil it down to what really the big influencing factor is, isn't it almost the food source always? Absolutely, Terry. Most of the year, the food source is really going to be the key thing. And as you get into fall, there's definitely that need and that hyperphagia kicking in where these fish are thinking about winter and they're thinking about feeding up like a bear looking to hibernate. And if you're not near the bait fish this time of year, especially as we get into fall and into late fall, if you're not near the bait fish, the odds are you're most likely not near the predators. So locating the bait fish, getting out there and figuring out where the bait is located on any given day is one of the biggest skills and keys to being successful this time of year, Terry. Why don't you take us through a couple scenarios of lakes you fish and how you approach them this time of the year? Well, you know, different lakes fish a little bit different, and certain lakes are going to have quite a bit of structure on the main bodies of lakes, and I'm going to run around a lake like Horsetooth a lot of times, and I'm going to look for a few things right off the bat. Initially, real early in the morning, Terry, I'm looking for the bait fish to be very, very shallow, uh, right up on the surface, getting pushed to the surface, possibly active fish there pounding and boiling and, and, you know, going to town on them. I'm looking for active birds that are up looking for bait fish that are, you know, aggressively searching and diving into the water, that type of scenario. I know if I can find that kind of a thing, then I know the bait fish are there, and that's the area of the lakes I'm going to focus on. Um, Some days you get out there, however, and visually you just can't really detect a bait fish on the surface. Um, that's when I'm going to utilize my electronics heavily, and I'm going to run around a lake like Horsetooth, for example, and I'm going to scan quite a bit of the open water, and once I find bait fish concentrations kind of in the open water, then I'm going to start scanning the adjacent structure that's nearest to those bait fish, and I'm really looking for some bait fish that are pushed up to the structure a lot of times, Terry. So you take a lake like Horsetooth, for example, where you, you know, there's 15, 20, 30 different points that are around the lake, I may run around in the morning and scan, you know, three quarters of those points before I even get a line wet, just visually looking for bait fish actively pushed near and around that structure. Um, If I scan a a point and I don't see any of that bait fish, especially in the fall, Terry, then it's time to move on. I couldn't agree more. So when you find them, what type of presentation? I think I know, but are you going to look to power fish to get reaction bites? You're going to try to finesse them. How do you approach that then? It's a lot of power fishing, Terry, and it's really, you know, the presentations are going to reflect what level or what depth I'm seeing the bait fish at. So if I'm looking at real shallow bait fish, fish that are in the top part of the water column, you know, anywhere is right at the surface to, you know, four or five, six feet deep, then I'm going to be throwing things like surface lures initially that are going to run right on the top, walking baits, poppers, buzz baits, um, maybe whopper plopper style baits, choppos, things like that, that I'm going to be able to, you know, work right on the surface. Um, If it doesn't seem like they're wanting to come to the surface and and hit a a presentation, then I'm going to go to something like a shallow running jerkbait that's going to work in those top three feet of the water column and try to get those fish to react to a jerkbait 
um, a, a real heavy spinner, something like a Mets, is something that I throw a lot of nowadays for those shallow fish. Um, primarily, I, I've thrown that a lot because my arms have gotten kind of beat up over the years, Terry. And uh, a half-ounce spinner, a half-ounce Mets, is such an easy presentation to work very shallow through the water column. It's just a huck and reel type of scenario, so I'm not having to put a lot of action into my rod. But it's an excellent presentation for triggering fish that are up up actively feeding on bait fish like shad and smelt. Uh, one trick that I do to those uh, to those MEP style spinners is that I add weight to those a lot of times, Terry. So I may be throwing a half ounce MEPs, but I'm also adding maybe uh, a half ounce tungsten weight to the front of those so that I can make really, really long casts and I can still work that heavy presentation very, very shallow. So uh, that's an excellent tip um, this time of year, Terry. And then as I start to see the fish move a little bit deeper, and let's say they're a little bit deeper, maybe they're on structure or something like that, then I'm looking at deep diving crankbaits are going to be a very effective way to, to cover a lot of water. Spinner baits, chatter baits can also be effective through the water column like that. Um, and, you know, and then as we start to see the, the bait fish get deeper as we get later into fall and early into winter, stuff like that, that's when I start making the transition over to, to more vertical style presentations like spoons and jigging wraps starter style baits, things like that. I may also work just, you know, uh, three inch gulp minnows on like a quarter ounce jig head or tube jigs that are heavily weighted things that I can rip vertically through the water column and allow fall. Um, that's kind of the presentations I go to as I start seeing the bait fish a little bit lower in the water column, Terry. I have a, a I want some, something I want to run by you because I've been asking other people this, um, I did more spinner bait fishing this year than I've ever done in the last decade almost it used to be every bass fisherman had a spinnerbait tied on and i've gone spinnerbait fishing with you and you and i've thrown them we've thrown the chatterbaits but i think the chatterbait is being used a lot where people used to use spinnerbaits and because of that the fish for the last five years or so haven't seen as many spinnerbaits and i think they're a little more aggressive towards them now they're not as conditioned i think the same thing might be happening with jigging spoons where people have gone to the jigging wraps, the Johnny darters, the Ronnie darters, and the um, maybe blade baits and the spoons have been kind of ignored. I think they may start coming back more into their own. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, Terry, my rule of thumb has always been that I have multiples of each kind of presentation tied on on any given day, and I'm going to rotate through all of them. So if I'm on a lake like Bullard, and I think that it's going to be a huck and wine situation with spinner baits and chatter baits and, and possibly swim jigs, things along those lines, I'm going to have all three tied on just to start off the day, Terry. I can't tell you how many times when, when I've showed up in the past and the fish have really been keyed in to one presentation, it wouldn't touch the other. And then you come back a few days later and it was the exact opposite type of scenario. So I think there's a lot of things that play into those scenarios. I think conditions a lot of times can drive that bite. So maybe one day you showed up and you threw that chatterbait and you didn't get bites on it and you, you didn't really understand why. Well, it could have been that the water was just a little too clear on that day. Maybe the the wind wasn't blowing the right direction, that kind of a thing the night before or the day before, or, the, or there's not as much boat traffic on the lake as there was the last time you were out. So maybe the water was just a little too clear and those fish didn't want to come up and bite that chatterbait because it was a little too aggressive. Well, maybe they 
will come up and bite that spinnerbait on that day, Terry. So my rule of thumb's always been to have all three tied on, like a spinnerbait, a chatterbait, and a swimming jig, and figure out which one they're going to go to. If I'm going vertical, I'm doing the same thing, Terry. I'm going to have darters tied on. I'm going to have multiple weights as well tied on in those darters. You know, one day it may be that half ounce little darter that gets all the action. The next day it may be that that three quarter ounce to an ounce darter that gets the bites. Um, it may be that jigging spoon that 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 more of a flutter and slower falling presentation gets the bite on one day, and it may be that tube jig or that uh, that gulp minnow that kind of darts side to side or spirals as it falls. That may be the trick on any given day, Terry. So, you know, I'm not one to get get tied down into one particular pro you know presentation and, and, and you know fish it until my arms hurt i'm going to try all of them on any given days and what i'm going to do terry is i'm going to pay attention to the conditions that i get bit on and then try to replicate that so if it's a windy day and they're biting the darters and they won't touch the spoon if i come out the next day and it's just as windy then i'm going to start off with the darters um i'm going to just kind of pay attention to those things terry and usually that will help you break it down and figure out what's going on in any given day all right, we got about two minutes left. Let's take Boyd Lake. If you were headed out there, what would you do different than you did on Horse Tooth? Well, that's funny, Terry, because I was going to go to Boyd this morning until I got up at 5 a.m. and looked out and saw that it was drizzling and raining and it was 43 degrees outside. So um, I'm probably going to be heading to Boyd tomorrow, hopefully, and get out on the lake. Um, you know, Boyd this time of year can be a lot of fun. It can also be a challenge. I think the big key on Boyd is once is paying attention to the conditions, paying attention to the bite windows, understanding that there's going to be an early morning feed. There's going to be kind of a post early morning feed. There may be a lull during the middle of the day and there may be an evening feed that happens. So I'm going to get out on Boyd. I am going to head there very early in the morning. One of the reasons I'm going to do that is initially when I go to Boyd this time of year, I'm looking for that white bass bite to be going early in the morning, Terry. If I can get out there and conditions set up right, which usually the biggest key is that the wind isn't blowing too hard. Um, it can be cloudy. It can be sunny. It can be a lot of different things. But if the wind is blowing too hard, those white bass tend not to come to the surface with the shad. Um, if I can time it right and get out there and there's not a lot of wind, then I'm going to run around the lake initially right off the bat and visually look for white bass active around that lake. I know if I could find an area of the lake where the white bass are aggressively pushing shad to the surface, then I can pound out a whole bunch of fish in, in the first 30 minutes, hour of the day. We may boat 40, 50 fish right off the bat, Terry. And then once the sun comes up and we get a little bit of light on the water, then I'm going to transition over and I'm going to start running around the lake and visually looking for grass. Um, even though the lake is low at a lake like Boyd, there is quite a bit of aquatic vegetation that's still submerged in that lake. Uh, it's not particularly deep because the water is low, so, so most of the grass we're looking at is in that four to maybe one foot of depth. Uh, I'm going to run around the lake, and now that the sun's up, I can visually spot that stuff. That's going to allow me to work presentations like spinnerbaits, like surface lures, like chatterbaits, um, like swim jigs, things like that in and around that grass, and I'm going to transition to that large mouth and that smallmouth bite, which can be very, very good this time of year, Terry. All right, my friend, we are out of time, but incredibly good information as always, Ronnie, and we got to get back on the water together soon. 
We really do, Terry. I was looking at pictures just the other day, and I, we were out last year. It was uh, later in October when we got out, and we really had a great day working those chatterbaits shallow for those largemouth. So there's still quite a bit of time left in the year. I mean, it was it was late October that we did that last year, Terry. So that bite is still going to be very active, and, and don't give up on those shallow fish. Uh, there's a lot of fish that will be shallow until we get those initial first freezes, Terry. So um, let's get uh, out. Right. Let's get out there and, and, and try to try to do that on board soon. Let's let's make it happen, my friend. Thank you so much for joining us. All right, buddy. Have a good one. You bet. Ronnie Castiglione, always a great source. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we'll wrap up this week's edition of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going to wrap things up here. I have a little housekeeping I want to do. First of all, Follow us on Facebook. Uh, Facebook's the heart and soul of this show. We take some of our... Now, first of all, you can listen to any of the podcasts by going to denverfan.com or 1043thefan.com. Go to my page, and the segments and the hours are all podcasts. But we take some of the more pertinent segments that we think are really timely or really touched a note, and we try to post maybe two to four of those on our Facebook page during the week. Uh, so we can make sure that you get caught up if you miss something or if you wanted to hear it again. So following us on Facebook, also on Facebook, if we're having a special guest or a special topic, we'll announce that on Facebook. And occasionally we but we jump over to the ESPN channel here in Denver, and it'll tell you if we're on here at our normal time, 9 to 11, or if we're jumping over to ESPN from 10 to noon. So you can follow us easier that way. Also on Facebook, every time Karen adds a video to our YouTube channel, the best of fishing with Terry Wickstrom. Uh, Karen posts a link on Facebook to that that new video, and and they're not new, new. They're videos from our past TV shows that we think are still timely and good information, and we'll we'll get them posted up there because uh, we just think they're going to help you enjoy the fishing that's going on at that time. And that's from our YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. In fact, I think Karen just. Uh, just added a new video here just recently to the channel. And we've got everything from fishing right here in your backyard. Because remember, we did two television shows. We did Angling Adventures and we did Mountain States Fishing. Mountain States Fishing was filmed usually within a day's drive of Denver. So those are filmed right in your backyard and places you can go with techniques you can use and really based on information and on how you can catch fish there. Angling Adventures is a travel show. We went from the Arctic Circle to the equator and across North America, taking you to destinations that you might be interested to take that special trip one year or that even trip of a lifetime, and we share those destinations with you. And so it's about half and half there. And of course, some of the destinations are right here in the western United States, too. So, you know, you might find some local spots right there even. So go follow Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. And in fact, the white bass that Ronnie talked about, the spooning bites that uh, Austin talked about, and even some of the bites that Nate talked about, there are videos on the Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom on all those exact lakes with those exact presentations. So give a look and see what you think. Um, a lot of that information is still so critical. We love it when you join us here. A couple other things now I'll bring you up. I've heard the flows in the South Platte have really started to come up. Water's cooler. We didn't get a chance to talk about that on today's show. I'll get somebody on in the next couple of weeks. We'll get more in depth on that. 
but it sounds like it's really taking off. We did talk about Lake McConaughey. The water is extremely low. It's only about 35% of what uh, it normally is, and it's there's only one boat landing open. A few more may open, but we think it's going to be a phenomenal fall bite there. You want to take advantage of that. And we hadn't talked about Glendo can be another fantastic fall bite. So we'll get somebody on next week or two to talk about that. There's lots of fall fishing, lots of hunting. We're going to be covering over the next few weeks. Uh, so just we've got lots of good supplies out there. There's no reason not to get out there and take advantage of some of the best in the outdoors, the outdoors has to offer here in Colorado. I thank Karen for helping line things up, keeping me online and keeping my communications open. And we want to thank Jake for running the board inside and keeping us on the air and making this show work. And I want to thank all you folks for listening every Saturday morning. We're in our 25th year of this show. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour in sports on 104.3 The Fan.